Hi, Freight friends, and welcome back to day two of our Global Supply Chain Summit. As you know, I love learning more and more every day about the retail supply chain, and of course, sharing that information with you on our podcast point of sale. And today, I'm excited to break down the supply chain even more and its current disruptions with John Gold. He's actually the Vice President of Supply Chain and Customs Policy for the National Retail Federation. John, thank you so much for being with us today. Hi, Grace. Happy to be here. Yeah, you know, let's dive right into it. You know, as they say at the National Retail Federation, you are the voice of retail. So let's see, what's the biggest concerns and challenges that you're starting to hear from retailers that you work with? I think the ongoing challenge that retailers are, are facing is the ongoing supply chain disruptions in the entirety of the supply chain. You know, we just conducted an updated survey of our members to see you know, what, how 2021 ended up and then what they're looking forward to in 2022 and what they expect. And unfortunately, they expect many, much of the same of what they saw in 2021 with congestion and disruptions throughout the supply chain. I think they, they're hoping that these challenges will start to subside in the fourth quarter this year, but I think there's still a lot of uncertainty. I think the main challenges that they continue to look at are just overall port congestion. You know, we're still looking at imports on the rise throughout 2022, our global port tracker, which came out in January, you know, said that we're going to continue to see increasing imports, but only the single digit level versus the double digit level we saw in 2021. But that's still a significant increase. In addition to the port congestion, ongoing challenges with ocean carrier capacity, workforce shortages, and uh, the availability of chassis and empty containers as well. All of that poses continuing challenges for the entirety of the supply chain. Yeah, you know, visibility has been a huge focus, especially on the global side, right? Being able to truly navigate your inventory and figure out what's coming in and what's going out. Um, how can retailers work better with their supply chain partners to navigate this, these areas, especially in the ports? We know that's something you're specifically looking at on a daily basis. And how, how are they working better to get that visibility? Yeah, visibility is a huge issue that, that retailers and others are paying a lot of attention to now. You know, part of that is working directly with your product and service suppliers and getting a better understanding of what's available and how the information they need from you in order to be able to execute what your plans are going to be. You know, we have for years talked about the lack of available data to help with port operations. The fact that the ports are pretty much a black box when it comes to <laughs> available information. Uh, you know, you look at the ports of LA and Long Beach, we applaud what the port of LA has done with their port optimizer program, but we need more input and insight into that program. So creating something like a national freight portal that all supply chain stakeholders can feed their information to and get a better understanding and better visibility to allow them to do better freight planning and better resiliency efforts, not just you as a company, but also working with your supply chain partners as well. So making sure your trucking, warehousing, rail, ocean carriers are all on board with everything that needs to happen. And again, having that data in a real timely manner, but having accurate data as well is going to help you figure that out. You know, it's, I, I love that you bring up that topic because I've been trying to educate myself more on uh, the shipping environment, more on the global scale, especially maritime. And I find it fascinating how much data is siloed between even ports themselves, let alone um, the truck drivers being able to get that information for, for picking up containers. Um, and of course, you know, the government's come out with different views and opinions on how to fix that and ideas for uh, mitigating those issues. 
How do you think that, you know, the government could work better with retailers and ports in general in order to start breaking down those silos too? Yeah, I mean, I think there certainly are a couple of efforts that are underway within the government. Obviously, the Federal Maritime Commission is taking a look at their maritime trade data initiative, which I think is incredibly important. But that's only one piece of the puzzle when you look at the entire of the supply chain. I think if we're looking at supply chain data, we've got to have a holistic approach and we look kind of front, front to back. And not just look at these silos. I think you're absolutely right. We need to break down these silos so that all parties along the way know what's to be expected coming forward. So I think really the the best thing the government can do is continue to act as a convener and use the bully pulpit to get the right stakeholders to the table to break down those silos and convene them under the FMC, DOT, you know, rail, STB, and what have you. But let's really focus on what do we need as far as data goes for the entirety of the supply chain? Who needs the data? Who owns the data? What time do we need the data? And more importantly, let's have standardized data so we all know exactly what we're talking about. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges we face right now is that lack of standardization. And I, I always talk about this. You know, this this is not a new issue we've been talking about. We've been talk, I've been talking about this for almost 20 years now, to be honest. Looking back to the, you know, the, the lockout we had back in, in 02 and what data we need. And the fact that we can't define what a turn time is at our ports <laughs> is a challenge. Is it when the truck gets in the queue or when the truck gets in the gate? I would argue it's when it gets in the queue. So you get that full turn, you know, end-to-end time. So this is where we need the government help to get the right stakeholders together to define what the terms are, what the standards are, and let's have an agreement on that. And, you know, as you know, the different technology systems that people have in place make it that much more difficult. But let's have something that's overarching that has interoperability so companies can maintain their own technologies but be able to feed back in so others can see that as well. So I think that, you know, for many companies, they're concerned about competitive advantage over their data systems. That's great. But let's have something interoperable so we can all get visibility into the, you know, some of this data and have for, allow for better planning. You know, the fact that you look at ports of LA and Long Beach, you've got 12 different terminals who all operate different differing systems for appointments. That makes it that much more difficult for a trucker to not only arrange for to pick up a loaded container, but return an empty container or return a chassis. And it just it makes it very complicated. Definitely. And I think, you know, the, over the last year, I feel like I've heard more and more uh, technology providers starting to, to touch on that, whether it's integrating with one another or just realizing that if, if they can speak to one another, that a lot of the problems that they're hoping to solve can be done, uh, you know, rising tide uh, lifts all boats, right? So I'm hoping to see more of that in, in 2022. And speaking of technology, let's Let's look at more of you know, like the warehousing space, even even down to the retailers and their stores. Do you think that uh, technology, especially automation of their operations, is becoming more table stakes for survival for retailers these days? I think so. I mean, obviously, you know, we kind of I hate to say we joke about this, but you look at the beginning <laughs> of the, the pandemic where, you know, we had retailers that were forced to shut down because they weren't deemed essential. And the, the pivot that many companies made just for operational purposes, there was, you know, we joked to like five years worth of investment within the first five months of the pandemic for folks to become more better operational, to be better aligned to meet their customer needs. So you've seen things like, you know, buying line pickup in store, curbside pickup, which, you know, really weren't on the radar last year. It was something where, you know, a couple down years down the line that would come in place. But in order to support that, you've got to have better technology, better automation better tracking systems, better training within the stores. So all of that comes together. So I think definitely the the need for investment in information technology systems, better forecasting, better visibility, 
more automation in warehouses is is incredibly important, especially as you see these warehouses are, you know, kind of busting at the seams. And you've got to have better ability to be able to find product and move it as quickly as possible to get to the consumer who's really expecting that product to be there when when they want it. So, you know, technology, automation, uh, the, you know, AI is incredibly important, machine learning. I mean, all this is is incredibly important. And retailers are investing a lot of time and money into these new systems to have better predictability, better and better resiliency in their systems. Definitely. I think uh, there's a study that came out by Pearl Rogers that showed, I think 70% of all warehousing is currently being used. And that's um, even what's being built at this time is already um, have, has a wait list behind it of who's going to be taking that over. So I think seeing an optimization of just warehousing alone and being able to uh, you know, find micro-fulfillment locations will right. be huge this year. Uh, what areas do you see retailers investing in more um, and, and where do you expect them to maybe be focusing their attention on it in 2022? I mean, I think this year it's continued focus on, on the supply chain and supply chain diversity. Um, and that certainly has been a focus for, for the past couple of years, especially when you look at what happened with the, you know, the, the Section 301 tariffs and the trade war with China. Folks started to look at how do they diversify their supply chains. And now with the, the pandemic and all the disruption we've seen, Folks are really taking a look at at that their supply chains, make sure they have a a you know risk mitigation strategies in place um, to make sure they can adjust to anything that that comes down the pike. So, looking are there opportunities to shift so- sourcing near shore, onshore, or or somewhere else? Um, looking at different your port strategy, not solely relying on on the West Coast. Obviously, we have a labor negotiation coming up this summer that's going to impact the West Coast ports. So folks are certainly starting to plan for that already uh, to make sure they don't, don't see disruptions. But right now, it's the ongoing, you know, constant work of working not just internally, make sure your strategies are aligned, but working with your partners to make sure that they fully understand what your strategy is and that they can they can implement when needed. Is there any specific regions you see these companies moving to more, especially Port-wise, off the top of my head, I would assume maybe Houston uh, going through the Panama Canal. But what have you been seeing? Yeah, I mean, certainly looking at kind of the four corner strategies. So, you know, Pacific Northwest, uh, California, East Coast, Gulf Coast. You've certainly seen growth in, in East Coast and Gulf Coast ports throughout the pandemic. And, you know, I hate to say it, but whenever you see these labor negotiations, that shifts people back to, yeah. to the other coast as well to, to try and avoid. So I think you'll continue to, to see that. As far as, you know, regions where people are looking at, at shifting sourcing and supply chains, obviously looking at, at Western Hemisphere is has been a, a big topic for a lot of people. But it really depends on the ability of vendors to, to meet all of your requirements. I mean, we, we know, you know, it's it's not easy to shift your supply chain. Even when you don't have a pandemic, it takes time to be able to do that. You know, finding somebody who can meet all your different uh you know, your quantity and quality requirements. Do they meet all the, the requirements for government standards? But on top of that, is the workforce available? Do they have infrastructure in place? Are there regular callings for ocean vessels? You know, all those kind of go into play. And so it takes time to be able to to, to work that out. But can, retailers continue to look at, at sourcing options. Is there any specific retail sectors that you see have the ability to be more agile than, than others? Not really. I mean, it's it really depends upon the sector and kind of what the skill set is you're looking for 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 the workforce. Um, you know, it depends on the region. Some are better at at the kind of woodworking and, and things like that. So it really depends on kind of the skill set and what they're they're more fo- more focused in on. Um, 
But, you know, I wish I had kind of here's where electronics should go. It, it really depends. And obviously yeah. with the ongoing chip shortage, you know, I don't know where electronics are to go at this point. Um, but it's, <laughs> it's something everybody's evaluating and trying to figure out, again, are there things you can bring back to the U.S.? But even if you can, it's going to take time to get those facilities up and running and the workforce and, and everything going. Um, you know, I know there was, uh, was it Intel or somebody else just announced new uh, facilities being built in Ohio. But they're still looking at a couple of years before that's up and running and operational. So it's going to take time. Yeah, it, is, it was Intel. And, and, you know, it's funny about that is a lot of people looked at that and said, you know, there's our solution. But I think people won't realize even when you're dealing with chips, um, it depends on who owns the, the property rights behind uh, making those. And each and every one has its own physical capabilities. Right. So it's it's not just about a building a plant and right there you're ready to go a lot of it is who even has the ip behind making those right. so um it's a huge problem and i'm, I'm glad you brought that one up because i think well and, people and the other are, are, and the other piece yeah. of it too is you know can you domestically source every piece that goes into that chip or are you relying on something coming from somewhere else as well so yeah. you know again while you might be making it here you might be relying on inputs to production from somewhere else so you know it's yeah, all that all that's gotta be taken into account as you're looking at where you're you're doing your sourcing from. Well, I think that's why we're just seeing so much investment in the space now. You know, one thing I've noticed over the last uh, not even full year, it's almost just like the last like six months or so, uh, retailers are starting to acquire pieces of their supply chain from um, American Eagle being one, um, whether it's their uh, actual producers or the actual carriers, logistics providers behind it. Um, what are your thoughts on that? And do you see that being more of a trend uh, this year? I, I think, again, it really comes back down to the individual retailer and kind of what they think their strategy is. Um, you know, obviously the fact you had last year retailers chartering vessels where that had never been been done before to try and get cargo into the U.S. So, you know, we went through a period where Everybody brought logistics in-house and they went to where we outsourced it and now they're bringing it back in again. So it, it really kind of depends on what their strategy is and where they see their their strengths and weaknesses and how what they can manage in the process. So, you know, I think certainly a lot of retailers will be looking at their supply chain and see where they can have more leverage and control. And that might be where they bring in certain elements of, of that. Um, you know, do they buy a last mile provider or something like that to help with the e-commerce? So I think, again, it's going to come down to the individual retailers and what they see as their strengths and weaknesses and where they can can better manage the process going forward. Definitely. Um, it's it's a funny cycle of M&A that's never going to stop. It, and that's why we love this industry, because it is so cyclical and it continues to to reroute and, and have its ebbs and flows. So um, it's, it's an interesting game to watch at the end of the day. Uh, what predictions could you make about the retail supply chains in 2022 what are what are tips or areas that you're you're telling uh retailers to really focus on to stay resilient this year yeah i mean if, if i had the crystal ball on that one i'd uh you know i'd be somewhere else right now but i <laughs> look, i think i think right now the focus is going to continue to be on on building more resiliency into your supply chain getting better visibility in your supply chain getting a better understanding uh, of what's happening i think what we've witnessed over the past couple of years, you know, the fact that supply chain is in the, is in the news every night, um, you know, everybody knows what a supply chain is now. And I know even from the C-suite down, they're paying a lot more attention to the supply chain, understanding the importance of the supply chain. So I think getting that focus on buy-in from the C-suite down on what you need to do to improve and get better visibility, 
I think is going to be incredibly important. I think retailers are going to be spending a lot of time on that right now, not only just getting the visibility internally of what needs to happen and getting everybody aligned, but again, working with your, your strategic partners and making sure that they can fulfill upon what you need going forward. I think that's really where the focus is going to be now because they want to have better predictability going forward because let's be honest, there are always disruptions in the supply chain. This is, you know, hopefully the worst we're ever going to see, but they want to be prepared going forward for anything that, that happens. Um, you know, who could have expected the ever given to get stuck in the Suez Canal for, <laughs> you know, for two weeks. Um, right. But you know, those are the kinds of issues you got to be, be prepared for. Um, you know, folks had game planned for disruptions. Nobody game planned for a pandemic that was going to last for, you know, two plus years. So how do you now take the lessons learned and, re- and build that into your supply chain and your risk mitigation plans uh, going forward? I think that's where the focus is going to be. Interesting. You know, bringing up COVID, there's a lot of uh, consumer habits that changed, right? You brought up the curbside. I think that's something that even today, if I feel comfortable going in the store, if I can, I can do, I'll, I'll do. Um, is there any of those type of consumer behavior trends that have changed that you might see a continuing to stay the same or b kind of reverting back to its normal self? I, look, I think curbside and buy online, pick up in store have, have really grown. I think consumers really enjoy that now. And I think one, consumers were eager to get back into store. Um, you know, over the past year, obviously we saw the holiday sales, you know, the in-store return for consumers was significantly high where I don't think we had, had really expected that. But I think continuing some of those those new technologies like buy online, pick up and store and curbside are going to continue. And I think looking at how do we continue to engage the consumer and make the in-store experience that much better for them is going to be important. Um, you know, e-commerce is going to continue to grow, um, but I think trying to get folks back in store is a big part of this as well and enjoying that experience. Um, and you've seen, you know, online retailers that are now opening up brick and mortar stores too. So everybody's trying to take advantage of that. So it's, it's going to be an interesting. Look, retail is always evolving and trying to, to stay ahead of itself. And I think that's going to continue, um, you know, this year and, and beyond. It's, it's been an amazing to watch this industry. I mean, I've been in this industry for 20 years now. And, but to watch it over the past two years, the resiliency of what folks have been able to do uh, has, has been, you know, I, I envy what they've been able to do. And I think that's going to continue going forward. Definitely. It's, uh, I love having a podcast about it because there's, there's a never-ending list of uh, guests and uh, topics that we can talk about. And, you know, I always love listening to earnings calls recently because you get to really see who's paying attention, who's mm-hmm. really investing and in, um, making sure that they're, you know, partnering with really great supply chain partners in order to make sure that no matter what happens, whether they see that um, capacity start to open up or vice versa gets worse, they're ready and prepared to, to bring that inventory in. So I really appreciate your insights today, John. This has been a, a great conversation. And uh, thank you again for being a part of our supply chain week. And uh, everyone else listening, thank you for being a part of this and looking to talk with you soon. Great. Thanks, Grace.